Tonight, I want to share a few thoughts with you, thoughts to make your heart sing. In the beginning, God sang everything into being for the joy of it and set the whole universe dancing. God was in the center at the heart of everything, like the dance of the planets before the sun, turning, spinning, circling, wheeling, revolving, orbiting around and around. God made everything in his world and in his universe and in his children's hearts to center around him in a wonderful dance of joy. It's the dance that you were born for. Job 38.7, the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. But what if the planets put themselves at the center instead of the sun? Cataclysm. The Bible says that's what it was like when we sinned. God made his children's hearts to join together in the wonderful dance of joy, orbiting and circling around him. But we put ourselves at the center instead of God. We put ourselves in God's place, which is what sin is. It broke God's perfect world. And now our hearts are out of step with God and the universe and each other and our own selves. But God had a plan and a rescuer. One day Jesus would come to take the cataclysm of sin into his own heart and lead us back into the dance of joy. Jeremiah 31.4, you will again be happy and dance. God tells us in the Bible that he is the creator of heaven and earth, the mighty God, and he says he's a father as well, your father. And then he shows us a tender picture, like a snapshot from his camera. It's of our God teaching you, his little child, how to walk, taking you in his arms, gently leading you. All through your life, from beginning to end, God himself teaches you how to walk with him. He leads you by the hand. Hosea 11.3, I myself taught my people how to walk, leading them along by the hand. Deuteronomy 11.18 says, Treasure these words of mine in your heart and in your soul. What words does God want you to treasure in the deepest part of you? Be good. Do it better. Try harder. Are those the words God wrote in the Bible for us to rescue and free us? No. Those words only show us what we can't do. The words God wants us to remember are just three small ones. I love you. They are the words that stop that terrible lie that Satan whispered to Eve in the garden God doesn't love you. They are words that heal the poison in our hearts that stops us from trusting God. They are the words that Jesus came to tell us with his whole life. They are the words he died to prove. What words will you treasure today? Of all the incredible things God made, which do you think is most amazing? Is it the Grand Canyon? I was there this summer. Pretty impressive. Or the Milky Way? Or what about the North Pole? Or Mount Everest? Or sunsets? Or starfish? Or the cheetah? That's pretty impressive, the cheetah is. 
Do you know what God says is the best, most magnificent, incredible thing that he has ever made? You. I get to look at you. You look awesome. You're the most incredible thing that God has made. Exodus 19.5, you will be my own special treasure, though all the earth is mine. The whole world is singing a song. Have you heard it? The wind is whispering it in the trees. The rain is dancing it on the rooftops. The whole of creation is singing out together. God loves us. He made us. He's very pleased with us. It's the song that's been sung since the beginning. The song that God created everything in his world to sing. It's the song without words. It's the song that you were created to sing too. We forgot our song long ago when we turned and ran away from God. But Jesus has come to bring us home to God and to give us back our song. So go on. Sing your song. Psalm 100 verses 1 through 3. Shout with joy to the Lord all the earth. Come before him singing with joy. He made us and we are his. Now, it was never meant to be this way, messed up. When the first human beings, Adam and Eve, ran from God, they broke his heart and his world. And tears and sickness and pain and death came in. God made his world to be our perfect home. But sin has spoiled everything, right? We have made a terrible mess of God's world. We lost it all. Did God abandon us? Did he just look down from heaven at the mess that we made? No, he didn't just look down. He came down. God himself came down. Not as a judge to punish us, but as a rescuer to save us. Psalm 18, verse 16, he reached down from heaven and rescued me. What is sin? Sin is trying to get away from God who loves us. It's wanting to go our own way without him. But the Bible says it's not like simply wandering off the path or getting lost by mistake. Sin, it's like a horse charging at full speed away from him. We want to get away from God that badly. We are like horses galloping headlong after all the things that we want. But God can stop runaway horses and lead them gently back. Jeremiah 8, 6. Is anyone sorry for doing wrong? No. All are running down the path of sin as swiftly as a horse galloping. Did you know that during World War II, a damaged plane crashed into the sea and the crew had no way to radio for help, but they had a vital piece of equipment, a pigeon named Winky. Isn't that a great name? Winky. Winky flew all the way home to the base, all 129 miles, alerting rescuers and saving the entire crew. And she was awarded a special medal for her heroism. However far away they are, birds can find their way home again and again and again. But not God's children. God's children aren't homesick for him. God is our true home, and away from him, we are lost. Are you far away today? Be like Winky. The minute you've realized that you've gone off course, head home. 
Isaiah 44, 22. Oh, return to me, for I have paid the price to set you free. God just wants us close to him. Whenever we wander away from him, he says to us, come back to me because I am gentle and kind. I'm slow to become angry with you, but very quick to forgive you. So come back home to me and be sorry inside your heart. I'm waiting to forgive you. Wherever you are, whatever you've done, just come. Joel chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. Even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. It's because he's a covenant God, a covenant-keeping God. A covenant in the Bible was an unbreakable contract, written not in ink, but in blood. You'd kill an animal and say, if I don't keep my promise, let me die like this animal. God made a covenant like that with his children and said, I will always love you. And we were supposed to promise, we'll always love you too, God. But we ran from God and broke our side of the contract. And the law, God's holy law, called for our deaths. And yet, God spared us. How? Did he just ignore the law? No. God himself kept our side of the covenant for us. And in Jesus, he died instead of us. God's promise to always love us is written in blood. The blood of his son. Matthew 26, 26 and 28. Jesus said, this is my blood, which confirms the covenant between God and his people. When Jesus asked his friends, when Jesus' friends asked him, give us more faith, Jesus told them they already had enough faith. Even faith as small as a mustard seed is enough. How small is a mustard seed? About as small as the period at the end of this sentence. Jesus said that's enough faith to uproot a huge tree and plant it into the sea. Even the tiniest speck of faith, the little bit that you have, so small it's hardly even their faith, is enough. Enough for you to do whatever Jesus has asked you to do. Because it's not about us and how much faith we have. It's about him and how faithful he is. Luke 17, 6, If you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, Be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it will obey you. One day Jesus visited the important city of Jericho and had a meeting. Who did he meet with? The mayor? The bishop? No. Jesus made a beeline straight for the biggest sinner that he could find. Who, by the way, was quite small and up in a tree. It would be like going to Washington, D.C. instead of having tea with the president, finding the worst criminal and having tea with him. Zacchaeus was the most hated, despised man in the whole city. And of all people, he was the one Jesus chose to have tea with. Back then, that was scandalous. It was like saying, let's be friends. The important people sneered. Jesus is the friend of sinners? They were right. Jesus loves sinners. And they're the whole reason he came. 1 Timothy 1.15, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Zacchaeus was a big sinner. He stole, cheated, lied. Why would Jesus love him? Did Zacchaeus say, I'll be a better person, and that's why Jesus wanted to be his friend? 
No, it was entirely the other way around. Even when no one else wanted anything to do with Zacchaeus, even before Zacchaeus mended his ways, Jesus was his friend. Jesus accepted him and loved him. Zacchaeus didn't have to do anything to make Jesus love him. And neither do you. Because you see, God's love is a free gift. You cannot earn it. And you certainly don't deserve it. Neither do I. And you can't pay for it. You need only open your hands to receive it. Ephesians 2.8, God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. And when God says that he forgives us, that he forgives our sins, he is saying, I've sent all the wrong things that you ever did far, far away from me. I've hurled them away where no one can ever look on them again, not even me. Where is the farthest place that you have traveled? God has sent your sins farther. What's the farthest place that you can even imagine? Galaxies 12 billion light years away? God sends your sins even farther away than that. You won't ever see them again. Psalm 103, verse 12. He has removed our sins as far from us as the east is from the west. Did you know in Genesis twenty-two seventeen, God said, I will surely bless you. People say bless you nowadays when you sneeze, right? Bless you. And bless has kind of turned into a bit of a feeble word. But in the Bible, it's much stronger. And it has nothing to do with sneezing, by the way. When God promises to bless you, he is saying, I'm going to make you into everything I ever meant for you to be. It means God is taking every day and every single thing that happens in it, good or bad, to make you stronger, to mend whatever is broken inside, and to change you into the person that you were always meant to be. Just as a caterpillar is totally changed into a butterfly, being blessed means being totally transformed. God is transforming everything, his broken world, and you. One day, King David was marveling at God's universe. In Psalm 8, verses 3 and 4, he says, When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers... The moon and the stars which you have set in place. What is man that you are mindful of him? But he didn't say that God made the universe with his arm or even his hand. He said, God, you made it with your fingers. The vast universe is so small to God that for him it's like making a toy model with just his fingers. If the Milky Way galaxy were the size of North America... Our solar system would be a a coffee cup and earth would be a speck of dust inside the cup. The universe is tiny to God. And what are human beings next to God? Nothing. And yet God says in his word that you fill his mind. Did you know that God tells us to glorify him? In the Bible, glorify means to make a big deal of. When someone makes a big deal of you, it it fills your heart up with joy. But why does God need us to make a big deal of him? Why does he need us to get joy? Well, he doesn't. In the beginning, God the Father and Jesus his Son, together with the Holy Spirit, were already there, a loving family, glorifying each other in this wonderful dance of joy. No, God didn't create us so he could get joy 
He already had it. He created us so he could share it. He knows it's the thing that your heart most needs to be happy. When God says, glorify me, he's really saying, be filled with joy. He's inviting us into his forever happiness. 1 Corinthians 2, 7, his secret purpose framed from the very beginning is to bring us to our full glory. But what about God's laws? What about the law? Ten Commandments. What God's rules are his gift to us to help us be who we really are. But God doesn't want you thinking that if you keep the rules, you'll make him love you. He wants you to rely on Jesus' record, not yours, because Jesus has already done everything the rules required. You obey God not so that God will love you. He already does. He couldn't love you any more than he does. But because you love him, that's why you obey. We can love God's rules now because they show us more about God and how to love him. Philippians 2.13, for God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. Let me ask you kids here this morning, this evening. Kids, have you seen a fish swimming? It dives and darts and glides and turns and flashes through the water. A fish was made for water. That's its natural habitat, the place where it belongs. And the Bible says that we were made for God to be loved by him and to love him. That's where we belong. But when we run away from God, when we run away from everything that makes us alive and free, we're miserable. We run away from our own happiness. We leave our place where we belong, which is close to his heart. Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28, Jesus said, Come to me, all you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Well, what if a fish one day decided, I've had enough of being told what I can and can't do, and only being allowed in water. I want to be free. I'm going to find my fortune on land. And then that fish jumped out of the water and onto the riverbank. How far do you think that foolish fish would get? It would wriggle and flap its fins, but of course, fins don't work on land, do they? It would lie there, gasping for air, and pretty soon it would die. How free is that fish on land? Not very. The fish is not built for land. And we are not built to be away from our Heavenly Father. John 8, 36, Jesus said, So if the Son sets you free, you are truly free. In medieval times, do you know how you got your good news? A herald blew a trumpet. The herald would blow the trumpet to let you know that the battle is won. Good news is telling you something great has happened, something so wonderful that when you hear it, it fills your heart up with joy. And the Bible calls the true stories about Jesus' life good news like a herald would send. Why are they good news? Because they're telling us what Jesus has done to bring us home to God. They're telling us our rescuer has come and the battle is won. Luke 2.10 and verse 11. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior has been born. When someone important is being introduced, the announcer usually says, Mr. So-and-so, founder of this extra important company. Or, Miss Something Else, Nobel Prize winning inventor of this brilliant thing. Do you know how God likes to be introduced? His name is the Lord, Father to the fatherless, defender of widows. Psalm 68, 4 and 5. 
Our almighty God who sifted stars through his fingers stands not with kings and princes, but with the weak, the powerless, and the poor. And because the people no one else thinks are important have a special place in God's heart. He hears their cries. He fights for them and defends them. And one night long ago in Bethlehem, he stepped out of heaven and he became one of them. When you're thinking up a reason, do you ever say, just because? Kids, your parents say that a lot, don't they? Well, why can't we do this just because? Well, God says, I love you just because. He doesn't say, I love you because you're kind, or I love you because you're helpful, or I love you because you're getting good grades, or even I love you because you love me. God says, the reason I love you is I love you. If God loved you because you're kind, that means if you stopped being kind, he'd stop loving you. Or if he loved you because you loved him, what if you stopped loving him? God loves us just because. Deuteronomy 7, 7 and 8. Our God did not love us or choose us for anything in us. It was simply because he loves us. The Bible says that one day at the end of time when God comes back and makes his world the way it was always meant to be, lions will lay down with lambs. Now wait, that's impossible, right? A lion would eat a lamb. But God says when he makes the world our perfect home again, even things that are impossible will come true. God is making all the sad things come untrue. He is making the ending of the world happy. And all the dreams we have ever dreamed for ourselves, he's making them come true. They are only shadows of the magnificent dreams God has dreamed for his children. All creation is waiting eagerly for that future day, Romans 8, 19. And that gives us hope. When we use the word hope, we say things like, I hope we win. It's like wishing for something we're not sure will happen, like the Dallas Cowboys who, I don't know if they won or lost yet. I hope they won. Someone can tell me afterwards, and you'll either be my best friend or I will never want to talk to you again. I'm hoping the Cowboys won. But in the Bible, hope means being absolutely certain that something will happen. Jonathan Edwards, who was a a preacher a long time ago, he had a powdered wig and wore knickers. He said there are three things we can hope in if we belong to Jesus. Number one, God will turn even the bad things around for your good in the end. Number two, your good things can't ever be taken away from you. And number three, the best things are yet to come. It doesn't mean that everything in our story is happy today but that God is making the story end happily for the world and for his children. Romans 15, 13. The God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope. Let's play some Bible trivia. What animal does the Bible say 400 times that people are most like? Oh dear, it is sheep, isn't it? Sheep aren't clever at all. They're pretty dumb and stupid. They're foolish. For instance, sometimes they just topple over and they can't get themselves back up again. They just lie there. And they're constantly falling off cliffs or going to unsafe places and getting stuck or eating poisonous things or getting hurt or running off and getting lost or not finding their way home again, even if their fold is in plain sight. So you see, sheep are completely helpless on their own and they desperately need a shepherd. 
And God says, we are helpless on our own too. And we desperately need a shepherd. Which is why he gave us Jesus. Isaiah 40 verse 11. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lamb in his arms. Even when the shepherd finds his lost sheep, it goes rushing all about. Right, And the only way he can round it up is to seize it, hurl it to the ground, bind its legs, and throw it over his shoulders and carry it home. And the poor sheep doesn't understand it. Remember, sheep are dumb. It thinks it's being captured. It thinks it's being killed. But the shepherd is saving its life. And sometimes we don't understand what God is doing in our lives either. It may even look like God is hurting you. But you can trust your shepherd who loves you. He carries you close to his heart. Isaiah 40, 11, he will carry the lambs in his arms, holding them close to his heart. Jesus said in John 10, I am the good shepherd. I sacrifice my life for the sheep. And so he says to all of you tonight, don't be afraid, little flock. I'm your good shepherd. You have everything you need. When you're hungry, I'll feed you. When you're thirsty, I'll give you water to drink. When you're tired, I'll bring you to cool shade where you can rest. I will rescue you, protect you, and love you. Now, if you think a sheep is hopeless about finding its way home, what about a coin? Jesus told the story of a woman who lost a coin and turned her entire house upside down to find it. Can the coin do something to be found? Can it get up and search for its owner? How silly, right? The Bible says we are as helpless as a coin that is lost. If we find God, it's because he found us first. It's because he opened up our hearts to him so that we could believe in him. Because it's not about us doing something to find God. It's about God who did everything to find us. 1 John four nineteen: we love because he first loved us. When you first meet someone, she might ask you, who are you? And you might say, Well, I'm so-and-so, and I am very good at this thing and that thing, and here's where I live, and this is my family, and... But do you know who God says you are? The one Jesus loves. Galatians 2.20, the Son of God loved me and gave himself for me. Do you think you're not good enough for Jesus to love you? Do you think you're not good enough for Jesus to love you? Victor Hugo wrote a story called The Hunchback of Notre Dame, Notre Dame however you want to say it. It's about Quasimodo, who is so ugly, he hides up in the bell tower. He is afraid that anyone who sees him will be disgusted. But we don't have to be like poor Quasimodo. Jesus came to bring you out of the shadows. He sees you and he loves you just as you are, not as you should be. Let him love you just as you are. Genesis 16, 13, you are the God who sees me. The Bible says sin is in charge of us and we are its slaves. Sin is keeping us from being all we could be in every area of our lives. It has robbed us of our freedom and our hearts are in chains now. And how do, how do slaves get free? Well, someone redeems them. They pay the price to buy them out of slavery and set them free. The Bible says Jesus redeemed us out of slavery to sin. How? He paid the price to get us back. And what was the price? His life. Mark 10, 45, the Son of Man came to give his life as a ransom for many. We were slaves to sin, but Jesus paid the price to buy our freedom, and now we're free. Wait, free to do whatever we like? There's a story from the American Civil War of a northerner who bought a young slave girl at a slave auction. And as they left the auction, the man turned to the girl and he said, 
you're free. She turned to him in amazement and said, you mean I'm free to do whatever I want? Yes, he said. And to say whatever I want to say? Yes, anything. And to be whatever I want to be? Yes. And even go wherever I want to go? Yes, he laughed. You're free to go wherever you'd like. And she looked at him intently and replied, then I will go with you. John 15, 15, Jesus said, I no longer call you slaves. Now you are my friends. And just before Jesus died, he shouted from the cross, it is finished. Well, what was finished? Jesus was saying, everything you need to come back home to God, everything you need to be free and happy in God, everything you need to live forever, I've done it all. It wasn't a cry of defeat. It was a shout of victory. The great work of rescuing us was finished. There's now nothing that you can do to make God love you more and nothing you can do to make him love you less. It is finished. 2 Corinthians 9, 15. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. The true story of God coming to rescue his children is topsy-turvy good news. Jesus said the way to be the greatest is to be the least. The way to save your life is to give it away. Jesus didn't come with wealth. He came as a poor man. He didn't come as a general to grab power. He came as a baby. He didn't come to be the boss of everyone. He came to be a servant. And without fighting a single military battle, God's undercover prince conquered the whole world. 1 Corinthians 1.27, but God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. Maybe you're asking, how can I come to God? I've been too bad. Well, remember those great heroes in the Bible, Moses, King David, and St. Paul? Guess what they all had in common? Big beards? Well, yes. After all, it was Bible times. But what else? They were always good? No. They were courageous? No. They were all, every last one of them, murderers. If God can transform such terrible sinners, if he can take Moses and turn him into a great leader, if he can take David and turn him into a great king, if he can take Paul and turn him into a great preacher, what might he do with you? Luke 5.32, Jesus answered, I have come to call those who know they are sinners and need to repent. But someone is saying, what if I can't believe enough? Well, imagine you're on a hike up a big mountain and you lose your foothold. And just before you plunge over the precipice, you spot a branch. Do you need to believe in that branch for it to save you? You don't worry about that. You just grab the branch because you're falling to your death. Faith is like grabbing onto that branch. We just reach out for God. He is the one who saves us. Our strong God is the one who rescues, not our strong faith. Because faith isn't just you holding on to God. It's God holding on to you. Mark 9, 24, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. A preacher called David Martin Lloyd-Jones sometimes asked people, are you a Christian? If they said, I'm trying, then he knew they didn't really understand. Because being a Christian isn't about trying, it's about trusting. Trusting not in what you must do, but in what God has done for you. And he has done everything. John 1.12, but to all who believed in Jesus and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. Wild donkeys hate to be led. They run away if you go anywhere near them and won't uh, come unless you force them with bridles and bits. And all they want is to be away from you and do whatever they like. God doesn't want his children to be like donkeys, always fighting him and running away. 
Being close to God is what we were made for. God sent his only son to draw near to us, and it cost him everything to love us. So don't be a donkey on Christmas Eve, okay? A donkey that needs a bridle and a bit to come near. Let God love you. Let him teach you. Let him lead you. He knows the way. Psalm 32, 9. Don't be like a horse or donkey that doesn't understand. They must be led with bits and reins or they will not come near you. I know the kids can answer this one. Have you ever been so excited about something that you can't stop thinking about it? Like Christmas morning, presents, kids, tomorrow, you're so excited, you can't stop thinking about it. Do you know what the Bible says? God cannot stop thinking about you. If you tried to count how many times he thinks of you, you couldn't. It's more than all the grains of sand on the seashore. And every single thought that God has about you is always only about how he can do good for you. All day and all night, he is thinking of ways to bless you, encourage you, to strengthen you, to help you. With such a loving Heavenly Father, why ever would you be afraid? Psalm 139, 17 to 18. How precious are your thoughts about me, O God. I can't even count them. They outnumber the grains of sand. Ask the birds of the sky and they will tell you, Job 12, 7. Did you know that God wants us to be bird watchers? He says to us, look at the sparrows. They are not very important and yet I love them and know all about them. How much more must I love you? Look at the ravens. They don't sow or reap. They have no barns or pantries. Yet I feed them. How much more will I look after you? Look at the storks. They go away, but they always come home. Be always coming home to me. Be like the little birds who know their heavenly father loves them and will take care of them. Be like the birds who look to me for what they need at the proper time. Look to me for everything. God's world is shining all around us. Birds, the skies, streams, trees, animals. Without any, needing any words at all, God's world is telling us that God is powerful and wise and beautiful. But all these things can't tell us everything. They can't tell us the most important thing. They can't tell us about his love, his wonderful, never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. The love that made the stars, that moved heaven and earth to be near us, that came down to live with us. No, to really see God's love, we must look at Jesus. Colossians 1.15, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. What is love? Is it a feeling in your heart? The Bible says that love is much more. It is patient and kind, never bears a grudge, doesn't demand its own way, always wants the best for someone else, never puts itself first, never gets jealous, isn't proud, doesn't boast, isn't rude, always hopes, never stops. Oh dear, that's quite a list. Who can love like that? Only one. He left his father and his throne and came to live with us. He showed us what love was really like. Because you see, love isn't mostly a list. It's a person. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son. Before God made the morning stars to shine, before he made the seas, before he made the mountains, before he made anything at all, God did something. What was it? He loved you and chose you as his own. Ephesians 1, 4, even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us. So nothing is impossible for God. God can do anything. He can calm a storm. He can stop the sun. He can make a pathway through the sea. Is there anything God can't do? 
just one thing, ever stop loving you. Isaiah 43, 4, you are precious in my eyes and honored and I love you. So when you're in the dark or on a narrow path and you need someone to lead you by the hand or to hold your hand tight, if you need someone to rely on, you can rely on God. God says we can rely on him. I've got you by the hand and I'll never let you go. No matter where you go, no matter what you do, you always have a hand to hold you. I will lead you, guide you, keep you. Even through death, I won't ever let you go. Isaiah 42, 6. I will take you by the hand and guard you. Will you let God take you by the hand right now? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your amazing, out-of-this-world love. I pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would move in our hearts so that we would come home and feel your loving arms around us. Feel your embrace. No shame, no guilt, just absolutely being loved on and adored by you. And it's only possible because of your son, Jesus. And for him, we give thanks. Amen.